From the tranquility of suburbia to the pandemonium of the urban jungle, this route opens up with gentle freeway, winds its way into the bowels of the city's underground, roads snaking everywhere, underpasses, overpasses, concrete barriers, long winding tunnels, it's all here for you. But watch out for other cars, they come up real quick when you're at speeds these cars want to travel. Hey, I've been doing some homework on this kid Toby Marshall from Mount Kisco. This kid was a phenom. Well, here's some news, Cretans. Toby's been running again, and running fast. Real fast, fast as that grim taquito will take him. I'm just telling you right now that if Toby Marshall ever got a car worthy of his talents, he could be towing the line at De Leon. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast review of Need for Speed. Winner takes all. Losers, y'all can walk home. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Trust me when I say it's one of a kind. Hosted by Arnie. That's my boy. That's my dude. Justin. You're very quiet and very tough. And then you're just constantly cracking these hilarious jokes. And Stuart. And then there were three. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. I've seen you drive and it's terrifying. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys, race is going to start soon. Then you should head up. Today we're discussing Need for Speed, starring Aaron Paul, Dominic Cooper, Imogen Poots, Ramon Rodriguez, and Michael Keaton, directed by Scott Waha. This is the now playing co-host who's got the need, the need for podcasting, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Justin, and I'm here to make peace and money. Making money? Maybe they ought to start with a game people have heard of. 26 installments of this video game franchise since 1994? Never heard of it. You're not a gamer, and you have famously said how you were above gaming once you went to college. I did not say anything about being above anything. I'm <laughs> saying I did not make time for it. And I've never played Grand Theft Auto, but I would know that title. This is no Grand Theft Auto. Need for Speed is a game that I played when it started coming out. Back in the 90s, I'd host LAN parties. I did it in college. I did it after college where everybody would bring their computer to my house. And I was gainfully employed and most of my friends weren't at that point. So I'd go out and I'd be the one who'd buy the games and then we'd just pirate them on everybody's computer and play. And we always would try a handful of games. We would try a strategy game, a fighting game, a shooting game. And one thing we liked was racing games. And we all broke out our steering wheels. I had the force feedback steering wheel that would like jerk under my hands and with the gear shift and the pedals and we'd all mount it to our desks. And the game we liked best out of all of them was Need for Speed. 
did you drive in your car all the way to the store to buy that stuff to hook up to your computer? Yeah, but I didn't drive it 200 miles an hour to the store. <laughs> Stuart should give me an amen that it's better for me to drive recklessly on a computer than it is on the streets. Yes, I've done both with you, and it's much better. <laughs> you know what? I love driving games up until the day I got my driver's license. I was all about turbo. I had the driving steering wheel for Coleco. I loved in the arcade, sitting in the little pole position. When you're a kid, it was a fantasy to be able to drive. But once you actually do drive, it does take away some of the appeal, right? Not at all. I mean, I wouldn't want a driving simulator per se, but I like driving fast. I like driving I'm trying to come up with a different word than crazy. Dangerous? Yeah. I mean, I like driving fast. You know, I've gotten more than one speeding ticket. But yeah, I have no desire to take turns at 100 miles an hour. And I would love to be doing some drift maneuvers like Tokyo Drift and things like that. My dream would be to do one of those weekend racer things where you get to sit with a pro and end up driving like 200 miles an hour around the indie tracks and things. So if I can't do that... I can play Need for Speed, and that's why I got the wheel and the pedals, is I wanted it to be a complete simulation. I wanted to put myself in there. I had 5.1 surround sound going on so I could hear the engines of the cars around me. Now, understand Need for Speed is an arcade simulation. We actually found a racing simulation. I sucked at it. It was supposed to be like the flight simulator for race cars. You know, mm. it would teach you how to actually drive a race car. And one of my friends, he was really good at it. And the rest of us sucked. And we realized he was cheating because he actually used the brakes of the car. And you're not supposed to use the brakes of a car in a racing game. Do you actually have pit stops where you had to like pull over and change tires and all that stuff? Yes. I can't remember the name of it. You could decorate your car with various logos and things. Need for Speed, though, used real world cars but was a street racing kind of game where it was real cars on quote-unquote real streets. That's something else I liked about it, is it took me to various cities, getting to see New York, admittedly an abbreviated version, but go to different places and race cars against my friends. Need for Speed was my favorite, and we played one, two, and three a hell of a lot, and then we just stopped gaming after 2000. I moved back to consoles. I think we all did. I did pick up the brand new game, though, Need for Speed Payback for my Xbox One because I was just curious. How would it go without a steering wheel? Like, how do console gamers play this game? And what has become of the Need for Speed franchise 20 years after I played it? It's become Fast and the Furious. It really has. There's now stories, whereas when I played it, the story was, hey, asshole, I'm going to win this race. Now it's like you're involved in a crime family and have to race for jobs and get here by a certain time or win this race to win money for your boss who you're indebted to. And Yeah, you're car thieves and you're carjacking cool vehicles and running down fake Vegas streets to fake Arctic Monkey songs. It's very much trying to capture the vibe of going to see a Fast and the Furious movie. There's an assortment of colorful characters and you play them all. I watched Arnie play this and had fun doing so. I did not want to play a driving game without a steering wheel, but once you got the hang of it, it was fun to watch you. I found myself getting tense watching you like try to win those races. I got better. I really did. I learned 
how to use the analog sticks and the analog buttons? Is it as good as having a steering wheel and a pedal? Hell no. But by the time I got to the first race, I was at least not having to turn my car around to hit that checkpoint again and then turn the car back around so I'm going the right way. I did that a few times. So it sounds like it's different from like, some of the more modern games that I'd be familiar with, like Forza, where it really is just about having a car and winning races. It sounds like there's more of a story to it then. Yeah, in the end, it's just a race. Sometimes you're racing against other cars. Other times you're just racing against the clock. But either way, you're street racing, illegal street racing with traffic coming either against you or with you and trying to decide your fastest way. So what does this movie have to do with Need for Speed? I'll tell you. In part three, Need for Speed changed. The first two were just street races and your worst experience was crashing. Need for Speed 3 was called Hot Pursuit and added a new element. The cops are coming after you. And if you went too slow, they'd do spike strips and really take you out. It was how I learned that spike strips existed was from that game. So this is street racing in real cars being chased by cops. And that's still in Need for Speed Payback because you're driving like a maniac. Cops are after you in that as well. So that's what they've taken. But in the end, there's not a plot. I mean, yes, Payback had characters. I wouldn't want to see Payback adapted into a movie, though. It looked like the most rote of storylines. Seriously, it's like they gave it to the intern and said, write a story in which somebody has to drive fast. He went and saw the first Fast and Furious and went from there. Eh, I don't know. They weren't stealing VCRs. It wasn't the first Fast and Furious. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is I'm just not much of a car guy. I just don't have that gene. When I hear the name of a hot rod, I'm not like, ooh, yeah. If somebody starts talking about horsepower and torque, it just goes right by me. I don't care. Yeah, I enjoy racing and speed and all that stuff. But when it comes to games outside of like Mario Kart, which isn't really even a racing game, it's more of a fighting game. The only one I've really ever gotten into is a series called Burnout. And that one, it it is racing, but it's not about specific cars or car types. It's more about causing damage. During a race, you're knocking other people off the track and crashing into them and making them fall off cliffs so they're out of the race. And then there's other modes where it's all about just causing damage with a crash. You'll launch yourself down a hill, off a ramp, and land into traffic and hit a gas tanker and cause a major explosion and you get more points the more damage you do that's more my kind of speed when it comes to racing i don't care about formula one i don't care about nascar that type of thing so it's just not hit anywhere where i live straight up racing really just doesn't do it for me i just don't care about being the first to cross the finish line you don't want to win the cup you want to take down the city I don't mind being the first person across, but you know what game I liked in that regard was Carmageddon, where you not only wanted to be the first person across the finish line, but you got bonus points for every person you killed and every car you crashed. Said it was a very bloody game where you'd run over elderly people and children. I think I remember that game. Yes, there was some probably some fake controversy surrounding it. We have to keep kids away from it, which of course only draws kids to it. It's like, oh, that sounds fun. But you mentioned this movie. This movie came out before Payback. I don't know how much there is to take from the video game, even Payback, as far as the storyline goes, which may be why this didn't even cross my radar. I remember a few ads. I remember it came out around spring break time for the college kids in 2014. I had no interest in it. I never watched Breaking Bad, maybe an episode here or there, but Aaron Paul was not my idea of a movie star, and I couldn't think of a reason why I'd want to go see this movie. I did see the trailer for this, and it did stick with me because I did like Breaking Bad, but the name was just too generic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They did steal it from Top Gun. Yeah, that's what I think about. When you say that, that is that quote that I think about. They even reference it in the movie. They have a character who insists on being called Maverick. Yes. But me, I like racing games. I like racing movies. Fast and Furious is probably my favorite racing franchise, although Italian Job, Bullet. I mean, there's a lot of great car chase movies. The Bourne films have some great car chases in them. So when I heard Need for Speed was becoming a movie, it perked my ears up. I mean, I'm the one guy who saw Sylvester Stallone's movie Driven in theaters. It's a Rennie Harlan film starring Stallone, but Drive, I love that movie, even though it's not really a car chase movie. You can hear my review of Baby Driver. Just car movies in general get me. And I saw this ad for Need for Speed and I went... Need to change the channel. I am not going to ever see that movie. Never thinking in my wildest nightmare that we'd be watching every piece of shit based on a video game in history. Now, can I ask why you had that adverse reaction? I think it's twofold. First of all, I went back and I rewatched the trailer. The teaser trailer is this god-awful, holier-than-thou thing of Aaron Paul preaching about the spirituality of racing. And it was really slow and had this orchestral music. The one thing Need for Speed did as well is it brought a thumping soundtrack. I got some rock and techno music as I was racing. When I saw Aaron Paul waxing philosophic about racing and the few scenes that they showed of cars, I'm like, this doesn't look exciting. This doesn't look like it has fun characters in the driver's seat. I didn't realize at the time anything about the behind the scenes, which, as the now-playing idiot, I have chosen to do all the bonus features for all these video games. I can't call myself the fan. <laughs> but the thing I'm alluding to is this is a 100% practical film. There is some CGI removal. There is very little CGI face pasting. These actors did the driving. Dominic Cooper and Aaron Paul had to take stunt driving classes. When you see a car skid and stop six inches away from the camera, Aaron Paul really did that skid and really stopped six inches away from the camera. If I'd known that, I would have wanted to see the movie more. Okay, because that's definitely my preference. It's always the thing I'm fighting against whenever I have to go to one of those Fast and Furious sequels is that they just want to pump it up more and more. Now the car skydive. Now there's a tank. And that's not my instinct. I like things to be a little more grounded. I like to think that you could actually do those things. That was one of the things I really applauded about Baby Driver. Yeah, I didn't realize it until I watched the movie. I could tell watching it that a lot of this was real, but I didn't realize that it was the actors in the driver's seat, that they didn't use the tow cars. In fact, there's certain scenes where I'm like, oh yeah, that car's just being towed. No, they wanted to go actually faster than tow cars could do. There's one bonus feature of Dominic Cooper. He turns to the camera and is like, yeah, I have to pretend I'm not scared of shit while driving 140 miles an hour. <laughs> so here it looks like you just smelled a the whole movie actually <laughs> but the other thing that didn't intrigue me though no stars now i didn't realize imogen poots was in it otherwise <laughs> kid cootie come on everyone loves kanye west second stringer kid cootie rapper now we've covered imogen poots she was in v for vendetta 28 weeks later most notably the remake of fright night she's done stuff we haven't covered she was good in green room but no matter what, I'll just always make fun of her name for being Imogen Boots. Yep. She is actually British, doesn't have to fake the American accent here. 
But the lack of name stars, I didn't even know Michael Keaton was in this. They didn't play him up in the trailers. No, it was pre-Birdman. He wasn't anybody. So there was nothing to make me want to see this film. You know, Aaron Paul, to me, like I've seen him in things. I watched a season of The Path, which was his Scientology Hulu show, if you are aware of that one. It's not that he's a bad actor. It's that I never saw him as a leading man. To me, he's quirky character actor in the same way that Giovanni Ribisi is, or even Ed Norton, who used to be a leading man and is not much of one anymore. I just feel like he might be better on the stage or as a sidekick. I had some reservations about him carrying any franchise. Well, you're not alone. He wasn't supposed to be the lead. No. He was auditioning for the role of Dino, the bad guy. Mm, yes, because he did play the character he did on Breaking Bad. There is something kind of nefarious about him. And Scott Waugh was having trouble casting a lead. And so he went to the studio and is like, this Aaron Paul guy's really good. What if we make him the lead? And the studio's like, absolutely not. This guy has no star power. This guy is not going to bring in people. He's absolutely right, because if we had Tom Holland in the lead here or something, an actor I like, I'd have looked at this. I mean, Aaron Paul's older even. I mean, you could get Jake Gyllenhaal, you could get Ryan Gosling. I mean, any of those people would get my attention more than Aaron Paul. So the studio said absolutely not, but you know who was involved in this film, and it shocks the hell out of me. But if you're a DreamWorks picture, I'm pretty sure that Steven Spielberg is like the school principal. Yeah. He definitely is. He weighs in on every movie that goes out with the DreamWorks banner on it. He met with Scott Waugh ahead of time to approve Waugh as director. Mm -hmm. Scott Waugh is coming from the stunt field. His dad was a famous stuntman, and he was a stunt driver himself. He was a car guy. Yeah, and he also produced some documentaries about extreme sports, uh, surfing and dune buggies and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he did one fictional picture before this, Act of Valor. Yeah, it's a marine movie that came and went. I didn't see it. But Spielberg had to approve Scott Waugh, and when Scott came in, he's like, I'm only going to do this movie if we don't CGI it. And Spielberg got a big grin on his face. So Spielberg was right there writing the checks. So I guess he was going to approve the director and how the director wanted to make the movie when they couldn't find a lead. They brought all of the audition tapes to Spielberg. Apparently, Spielberg had also just been binging Breaking Bad, coincidentally, and then saw Aaron Paul's tape and is like, hey, why don't we get this Aaron Paul to do the lead? And suddenly the studio said, yes, Stephen, we're going to get Aaron Paul for the lead. Yeah, funny how that works. If there was ever a time for Aaron Paul's popularity to leap from the small screen and make him into a star, now would be the time. Breaking Bad literally has just ended, and this is the biggest he's going to get, so let's see if he can translate from the small screen to the big screen. You couldn't be more right. He literally had to helicopter from the finale of Breaking Bad to this set. The finale of Breaking Bad shot a couple days long, and it impacted the shooting schedule here. He went one to the other. You know, I look at this as a very old exploitation movie kind of thing, though. You don't need stars. If you got fast cars and stunt drivers, that's all that this is. I don't know what the budget is. I'm sure it's not that low. But by blockbuster standards, it's going to be much lower than your average action film. I think they were just trying to make something fast and dirty and see what they get. So, yeah, it's not being driven by star power. It's being driven by untested talent that is either going to explode on screen or flame out. I guess in order to find out which way they go, Arnie, why don't you hit him with the plot? I'll try to race through it. Aaron Paul plays Toby Marshall, a race car driver who has inherited his father's auto shop and his father's debt. But his old frenemy, famous racer Dino Brewster. No, that's not the Flintstones dog. Yeah, he's Tony Stark's dad. Yeah, played by Dominic Cooper. 
offers Toby and his crew half a million dollars to restore a rare Ford Mustang. Toby does, but his attitude irks Dino, so Dino challenges Toby to an illegal street race for the $2.7 million the Mustang just sold for. Joining the race is Dead Pete, played by Harrison Gilbertson. Dead Pete is one of Toby's crew and the little brother of Dino's girlfriend, Anita. For no reason I can discern, Dino allows Pete in the race, and it looks like Toby will win, so Dino bumps Pete's car at nearly 200 miles an hour, causing it to flip, and Dead Pete roasts in a fire. Toby goes back for his obviously dead friend and loses the race as Dino drives off. And Toby serves two years in prison for his involvement in Pete's death, while Dino denies any involvement. The cops find no witnesses or evidence that Dino was there, so Dino goes free. Two years later, Toby is out of jail and gets his crew back together. He calls up the rich dude who bought the Mustang and asks if he can borrow the car keys. The guy agrees and sends his car broker, Julia Madden, played by Imogen Poots, to deliver the keys. Toby and his crew race cross-country to enter a race called the De Leon, run by a mysterious podcaster named Monarch, played by Michael Keaton. The winner of the De Leon gets every car in the race, worth about $4 million total. But it's going to end up being $4 million totaled by the end of the race. But Toby is going to beat Dino and avenge Dead Pete. Dino gets nervous and puts out a call that anyone who gets Toby arrested for breaking parole will get a rare Lamborghini. So Toby and his crew have to dodge all types of attacks as they drive from New York to San Francisco in time for the race. But in San Fran, some truckers hit and total Toby's Mustang. But Pete's older sister Anita, played by Dakota Johnson, discovers Dino's involvement in Pete's death and that Dino has kept the rare Koenigsegg Agera R he used in the homicide. Anita gives Toby the keys to the rare red automobile I won't try to pronounce again, and Toby wins the race as every other car crashes and is totaled, including Dino's. But the cops got involved in the illegal race and everyone who's left alive is arrested, including Dino and Toby. But Toby doesn't care. He smiles as they put the cuffs on because Pete is somehow avenged and credits are rolling. And Lincoln Park just stopped playing. <laughs> I don't know which one was the reason he's smiling, but one of them. <laughs> I know why I would be. Oh, okay. So the first question I have is, did you realize Pete was going to die the minute you saw him? Or did it take a few minutes before you actually figured that out? Instant. Absolutely instant. In fact, I look at him. I'm just like, he's dead Pete. I'm surprised he survived the first race. This kid is too smiley. This kid is too happy. This kid is too young. I knew he was going to be put in a refrigerator before this film was through. I did not get on to that immediately. I mean, I think I when I realized he was going to be a part of a race, yeah, I, I knew it then. But at the start here, it really takes a while to get going. You meet a lot of people at this custom auto shop, and I just assume there's a crew that's here to support Toby Marshall, Aaron Paul. Yes, but having seen Fast and Furious and so many of these driving movies, I knew not all of the crew would make it to the finish line, and I just could smell it. There were like buzzards flying over Pete's head in the very first scene. And notice I didn't mention anybody else in this crew in my plot summary, because none of them matter. They're trying to do Fast and Furious here. They brought in Kid Cudi, thinking that he could be the ludicrous of this crew, and no, you are no ludicrous. You're barely Busta Rhymes. And that's 
to the movie's credit, I'm going to just say right now that yes, probably what they told the studio execs is it's going to be another Fast and the Furious. But obviously, when we get to this drive-in scene, what are they showing? They're showing Bullet. They're showing an old school car movie. And the visual style of this movie, I don't feel like there's that flashy Fast and the Furious cutting or the cinematography is all kind of yellow, light spill, dark, kind of noir. Reminds me more of like Nightcrawler or Drive. And when they hit that button, I never hear anyone say the word Nas. So I think they're <laughs> stepping lightly here. They know that everyone is going to call it a Fast and Furious ripoff. And to a degree it is. But they're also trying to take from other sources. Yeah. When listening to the commentary, Bullet was, of course, naming their reference. And they're going to have a race at the same place. And where the Mustang gets totaled is a place where Steve McQueen was racing in that movie. They also actually do call outs to Smokey and the Bandit, mm -hmm. to Blues Brothers, you know, the car movies the director grew up with, he wanted to put in little references to. And there's a ton of cameos, too, by race drivers that I wouldn't ever catch. Yeah, I, I felt like the camera did linger on a few faces where I'm like, oh, I bet you I'm supposed to know who that is. But <laughs> to Stuart's point, not being a car guy, I was a little encouraged by the beginning of this movie saying, oh, we're not looking at a whole bunch of souped up foreign cars that I don't know what the hell they are. These are old classic muscle cars that they're racing right up front. Although with the way that Monarch is in the background kind of giving us a data dump about this kid who used to be a great racer and now he's not, but he could be a great racer again if he had a car that was worth of him, it told me that he was going to get one of those super cool cars because this is not a race with beaters. It is here at the beginning. Yeah, and this is the most Fast and Furious moment is this race at the beginning where... And I'm not quite sure, is this race for just low stakes? How did everybody come together for this race? Because when we're introduced... I don't know much about this movie going in. I thought our hero Toby here might actually be a race car driver. I thought it might be like the Chris Hemsworth movie Rush or something. When I'm hearing an announcer talking about this guy could be a great driver, how am I supposed to know he's talking about illegal racing? I think he's a sportscaster. You know, it was never clear to me throughout the entire movie whether or not Dino was a real racer, a legit racer, or just a really well-known street racer. I took it as he was a legit racer because of what Toby says, where he's like, you don't have to race me to prove anything. You are a famous racer. Yeah, some lip service is paid to Indy 500, too. I think we're to understand that this is a little Americana town where racing for $5,000 is super big. I mean, this is a super big race for the people that live here. But out of this town, Dominic Cooper's villainous character has gone on to bigger and better things, and we're never to like him. You know, maybe we dislike him for leaving behind his roots. We certainly dislike him for stealing away the girlfriend of our hero, Anita, Dakota F. Johnson. He could actually have her, but, you know. <laughs> but I guess to some people, she's Fifty Shades of a Catch. <laughs> she's really bad in this. I mean, she's actually better in Fifty Shades. That's saying something. That poor girl. She comes from such a high pedigree and yeah. to look so just normal. But yeah, he's introduced. I know we have our villain, Dominic Cooper. I found this very interesting. Once they hired Aaron Paul for the lead, Aaron Paul's about five nine and a half, according to IMDb. They intentionally cast this entire movie with short people so that Aaron Paul would actually look tall in comparison. <laughs> so Dominic Cooper, Imogen Poots, everybody here is going to be under six foot. Rare for a Hollywood film. They should have gotten Tom Cruise and Robert Downey. Well, they're not going for that. 
He's also putting on his best gruff voice, too, which is a little bit off-putting at the beginning here. Everything he says is in a low, rumbly, I'm a cool guy voice. Well, let me defend it, then. I actually was surprised at how much I ended up easing into this character. I, I usually think of him as quirky and edgy, and I didn't see him doing a whole lot of tricks here. I just think that he just kind of plays small-town Americana. I lost my dad. How am I going to save my small-town business? And yeah, I find myself pulling for him. I never fully get on his side. And I think it's the performance. I do think there's just something about him. His squintiness. He just, he squints a lot in this movie. I don't know if he needs eyeglasses or if it's actually just an affectation. But I always look at him and for some reason I just see a wannabe James Dean kind of thing coming through. Yeah, but he's balding. Like, I think that Aaron Paul has very average looks. He doesn't look like a movie star. And and in my opinion, that aids this movie's sense of trying to be more grounded. You don't get the sense that this is hopped up Hollywood. Yeah, very true. And I guess to what Arnie was saying, with them casting shorter people, and did they also have to, like, tone down everybody else's performance to not overshine this more (laughs) muted Aaron Paul? It's not that I'm not enjoying his performance. Out of all that crew... Yeah, I'm buying him as the leader of the pack. I'm buying him as the guy that they all look up to. He's the cool kid in this group. So that performance is coming through. So I'm not having a problem with that. One thing I am having a problem with, with the crew, there's no individuality there. Except for Maverick, who can fly helicopters. I'm not sure if any of these other guys specialize in anything. And Benny is going to be out of a job as soon as they get a drone, right? I mean, you don't really need to be in a Cessna flying above the city streets if you have just something aerial to tell you where the cops are. And why is he in his crew? Was he giving everybody the notice, don't hit the homeless guy when you take the turn? Or was he only telling one guy, and if somebody else hits the homeless guy, it's fine? It's kind of fun to be in the air, though. Am I wrong for liking this? I kind of like the fact that they had some way of taking to the sky. I liked that, and I want to agree with what Justin said, both the negative and the positive. Out of all of this, Aaron Paul is captivating me on screen. Maybe it's not just that they hired shorter actors, but that they hired actors with less charisma and less screen presence than Aaron Paul. But I'm not warming to him. I'm not going to take this Toby and put him up on a pedestal as great movie characters, either dramatically or heroically. But I'm liking him and I'm believing him. And yeah, this crew... I'm just not able to place them. One of them, I had to look up. I thought it was Pete Davidson from Saturday Night Live. No, just an incredible lookalike. This is the guy who gets naked later on. (laughs) Oh, wait. Rami Malek? That's Mr. Robot. I've never seen Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah, he won an Emmy. This guy's kind of a big time. He's going to be Freddie Mercury in the movie at the end of the year. Oh, okay. All right. He does have Pete Davidson eyes, though. I'll give you that, Arnie. Yeah, he does. And yeah, I mean, he's been in stuff that I've even seen, but I don't know really any of these actors, whether they're actors or Kid Cootie, I don't know them. I want to have characterization. If you can't write three-dimensional characters with unknown actors, then I want a known actor who I can just project onto from previous performances. Here, you have actors I don't know given characters with no personality. I think that's true, but it sounds like you wouldn't have a problem with it if it were Vin Diesel and people you like. 
because they'd be doing what they do and I just take it as that whereas these people I don't feel are doing much of anything except yes I really feel Maverick yeah this guy wants to be Tyrese so damn bad at the end of this movie we see him doing a workout routine with prisoners he's begging to be the Tyrese of this movie and it's just not working I agree when they shoot for that they miss but what I am applauding is really this director doesn't want to do that. And as someone that had to sit through eight Fast and the Furious movies, yeah, I'm just grateful to see that it doesn't have to be that formula. You can have a racing car that runs in a different way. You're seeming to get into the characters of this movie, which is something I could never do. But once that train whistle blows, and I like how that's how the race starts. They don't have the woman out there and the scantily clad dropping her scarf or whatever. They have a train that they know goes by and the whistle blows and that's the gunshot. I'm into this movie's racing. I think the cinematography here is really well done. I feel what's going on. I did even more research than the bonus features and wiki and things. I started looking into what cameras were used. Did they use drones? One of the reasons that Maverick is flying a helicopter, they had two helicopters all the time. What they CGI'd out was the cameras mounted on them. They were using helicopter cameras and they looked like police helicopters helicopters or Benny's helicopters, but they were actually doing the aerial work. And I like the sound design. I actually feel like that also aided me getting into this. I agree. The cinematography, all of this, it feels like a small town production and, and I appreciate the quaintness. I'm right there with both of you. The sound really drew me in, you know, like the cinematography is great, but the sound is what's like, all right, this is really adrenalizing right now. And even though I'm not super jacked about watching guys race or whatever, I'm into it. All of a sudden I'm feeling this race and it's pulling me in. So, all right, I'm in the back seat now. Yeah, they did this Blu-ray and the movie in a 7.1 mix. They actually said they mixed the movie that way. And to feel the sound bounce around my theater, very few movies do the 7.1. And so to feel the sound bounce around, and I'm not a huge car guy where I could tell you all of the cars that they're driving and things, but I can tell that they used real engine sounds here and they were doing... The thing I was thinking of is actually, and I know you're going to think this is a negative, but this is a positive... The pod race from episode one, Star Wars. Now, episode one is a narrative mess, but Ben Burt did such an amazing sound design on that pod race. There's no music for most of the pod race. It's all sound design. And here, there was no music for most of the race, whereas I was expecting anything from New Order to Daft Punk. They just went with the engine sounds and I liked it. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, not being a huge fan of Phantom Menace, and especially not a fan of the pod race as far as what it's doing on screen, that sound design there is iconic. I mean, I can't hear a noise that sounds even close to that without thinking of it. So it's well done on both accounts, and doing it here is exactly what this movie needs to get me on board with it. And I also like, when the race is over, we find out that Toby, no offense to any listeners named Toby, but it's kind of a dopey name. I just remember, like, I had Toby the Tuba as a record as a kid. I just don't know of any heroes named Toby. You know, I feel that same way about Stuart, so <laughs> I'm not gonna damn Tobys. There are just some people whose names just never ring cool. But yeah, Toby is in debt. I'm not sure if Dominic Cooper is going to be the big bad or if it's going to be the frenemy who helps him out here. It looks like the frenemy because he offers him 25% to restore or finish really a Ford Mustang that was being built by, and this is an actual person 
Carol Shelby, a very famous automotive designer, racing driver who died in 2012. This was the last car he had ever worked on. Don't know who that is, but I appreciate that they're going gearhead here. The idea that there's this mythical car that could have been awesome if it was ever finished and they're going to be the ones to finish it is almost an idea that they dispense of too quickly. I wish we had had more time of them building this car. Well, I was just about to say, I'm glad they didn't go A-team on it. I'm glad we didn't have a montage of banging the metal and looking at the torque and seeing them rev the engines. Well, not even a montage. You could have this be more dramatic. I feel like this movie is kind of at its best when the characters are doing drama you know as far as the shelby thing goes not being in that car world not hanging out in garages and stuff even i have heard of shelby i know what a shelby mustang is and stuff like that so i was wondering how that hits the ears of actual gearheads are they like oh god is that the one that you've heard of you know, if somebody would try to pull a somewhat skin-deep reference from a Star Wars movie to try to impress me, like, oh, really? Did you pull out Darth Vader? You know, it's like... I think this was a movie by gearheads for gearheads, and if other people like it, welcome to the club. Yeah, I sense that as well. It doesn't get too techy, because God knows if it was, I wouldn't be able to get into it. I wouldn't understand what's going on. But I appreciate that these guys know what they're talking about, and I believe them when they're here in the showroom showing off to Imogene Poots. <laughs> but no, I love how they do introduce this car. It's a Mustang. They show us racing horses. And I think we're going to be seeing the schematics, right? That it's going to be them using holographic technology to say that this is what the car will be when we're done with it. But no, this is the unveiling of the car. I think it's really stylish and well done and different than I've seen in any other movie. Yeah, and it's a device that reminds me a little bit that we are, yes, watching a video game movie. This is something showing us the schematics of the car being built with laser lights and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's reminding me, oh, yeah, this is based on a video game, even though loosely. Not only that, but the crew, right before the car got delivered, they started working on it. They had their joysticks out. They were playing some console. and so... It was Need for Speed. Oh, okay. Of course it was. At least it wasn't Rampage. <laughs> But this is where we're going to start butting heads and realize Toby, he's got a little bit of an ego to him. The fact that he knows he's a better driver and he's just, I can't tell if it's arrogance or confidence that he's better than Dino and that's why he's going to be the one to drive this Mustang that's not his, this $2 million car that actually sells for two point seven after he drives it. You know, you said a little bit earlier, maybe giving an actor a little bit of credence and what they've brought to the screen before i'm giving this to aaron paul from breaking bad i'm like okay i'm gonna go ahead and just assume what they're showing me in this movie is true they haven't really shown why he's a great racer they did show a race but really just came down to who was closest at the end there wasn't any magic driving skills or any crazy moves that made him a better driver in that race but you know i'm hearing that he's a great racer and they're trying to show it i'm not going to question that that's his character. But he is a character that can be easily baited because Dino wants to race for the 75% of the car versus the 25% of the car. And Toby is a character who's in debt and very confident in his own racing skills. But truthfully, why does Dead Pete get involved? He's just a spoiler for this race because he's obviously going to be on Toby's side. He works for Toby. Even though Dino's dating Pete's older sister, he doesn't seem to have any affection for Dino. He embarrassed Dino in front of the buyer by saying, you never drove this car. 
So why would you even give Dead Pete a key? Eh, because it's a cliche in these kinds of movies. You want to have a tragic loss. They've already killed the guy's father before the movie started. <laughs> so now he has this quote-unquote kid brother, not through blood, but you get the sense that this kid wants to be Aaron Paul when he grows up. And so, yeah, to take him out of the race, that's going to give our main character something to do. It is a trope. It is a cliche. We have seen it many different ways. It is not unexpected when we get this race that it's going to end the way that it does. That Dino confirms what we have suspected for 30 minutes now. This is, again, a long setup to get here. But Dino is such an asshole that he'll rear in someone to win. And if they flip off a bridge and blow up, he's not going to stop to help them out. And that's apparently a big thing with race car drivers is if somebody crashes, you stop and you help. If you don't stop, you're considered the biggest asshole on the planet. And here, I want to give Dominic Cooper one compliment. I think he's actually terrible in this movie. Across the board, terrible. I really do think his face never gets out of the sneer like somebody has a corpse in the room. I just think he, they need to give him that little face paint from Silence of the Lambs to get that sneer off his face. But when he rear ends Dead Pete and he sees that car flip, I get from his performance, shit, I didn't know that would happen. Huh, I th I'm really feeling bad. Oh my God, he's going to die. Wait, I still need to win this race. I go through all those emotions on Dominic Cooper's face in like five seconds. Yeah, and that kind of calls into question what you were asking earlier. Is this guy a frenemy? I mean, is he here actually to help? And to be honest with you, this is the crux of the movie. He didn't mean to kill this kid. He wasn't being nefarious with offering these guys a job and helping them out. Sure, he's an asshole. But now, you're right, it's decision time. And what we find out he does later is what really does make him the villain, his self-preservation. But this is the scene my mind went to when you started talking about this movie was done with practical effects. Are you telling me they actually flipped that car like that? Yes. That was impressive. But notice it's rapid cut. They did like, we're going to do this piece and the car is going to do this move. And we're going to do this piece and the car is going to get T-boned. And we're going to do this piece and we're going to do this. And we're going to use a crane to get the car over the bridge because if we damage that bridge, we're in for $50 million. And we're going to CGI out the crane. But piece by piece, they did all of this. I appreciate when we have the shot of the, like, actually midair, like, flying, like, sometimes looking down. It's POV as if you are watching through the windshield, but, yeah, he's completely upside down, and so those were fun. It felt like a GoPro shot. They actually did use GoPros in this. Mm, it looked like it. What really shocked me is they had to use small cameras, and they used a Canon that I looked up. You could buy this Canon for $6,000. I'm like, that is not expensive for making a movie. Yeah, but if you're crashing cars, you don't want to use the expensive camera. Then I realized each lens could cost more than the camera body. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's when I was like, no, I won't use that for my podcast. <laughs> this scene is also where I start to have a little bit of question about, I don't want to say morality, but just like the overall theme of who they're trying to hit with a movie like this. You know, it's one thing to street race. And at the beginning, they were very careful about talking about how the streets closed and stuff like that for the most part. Here, they are putting a lot of people's lives in danger. Aaron Paul spends half of this race driving the wrong way on the highway into head-on traffic. I would have a lot more problem with this if I didn't watch Arnie do the same thing the day before playing that game. It's true to the game. I really do think <laughs> that this stuff 
If you like the game, this is the stuff you would like. You do not drive well when you play this game. You destroy a lot of property. You drive in the wrong lane. Your car takes a whole lot of damage. It's not about coming out clean. It's just about getting to the finish line. And I think they've really captured that sense of that game. Yeah, and going against traffic to me is very exciting to see these cars oncoming with the camera mounted or the pov and i liked playing need for speed when i had the wheel and everything in that pov where it looks like you're behind the wheel the first person perspective instead of the third person perspective i found that didn't work so well in the console game i needed to see bigger but here i just think this is really well done although when toby turns around my initial thought is, well, Toby won the race. He lost a friend but won the race, but then he turns around and I'm like, ah, that's what they're going to do. But Toby spends so much time looking in his rearview mirror. I'm just going to say, I, I know from Fast and Furious bonus features, when you're going that fast, you do not spend that long looking in the rearview mirror or anything else. Because if you're going over 100 miles an hour and you are not looking ahead of you, you're hitting something. <laughs> Nor will you see very much, because at that speed, your rearview mirror is just a big bumpy blur. <laughs> But these are sweet cars they're driving. I got to give them that. And so sweet. Nobody saw them. There's no eyewitnesses to a three-car race. There's only two cars. There's no red paint on the back bumper. Yeah, if there's one car you're going to notice, it's the red car. There's a red car, a gray car, and a white car. And our heroes are in the gray and the white. And we're to believe that all these people that were impacted by this joyride did not notice Dominic Cooper in the red car. But again, it's because he has money, because he has privilege, and it's playing into the times. And it's just, you take a fall if you don't have the money to defend yourself. And poor Aaron Paul just has to go to jail for two years and come back with a need for revenge. I thought he was going to jail for murder or manslaughter or something. When he got out in two years, I was a little bit confused as to why so fast. The commentary illuminated me that if you're involved with illegal street racing, either as a spectator or as a racer, and somebody gets hurt or there's loss of life, you are culpable for illegal street racing, even if you're just one of the people cheering on a racer. So... The two years was for the illegal street racing, but they just chalked up the death to an accident. So be careful when watching illegal street races, you could go to jail for years. The more you know. <laughs> That's why nobody saw the other one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This is where I'm going to probably have my biggest issue with this movie is that they make consequences for only when it's convenient for the plot. You know what I'm saying? Like, the consequence of him going into this race and losing a friend is going to jail for two years. But I'm not saying I want a montage to show passage of time or anything. But it literally is kids dead, a little bit of a funeral scene, and then a little thing at the bottom of the screen two years later. Everybody has the same haircut. <laughs> it, it might as well be next week as far as, like, the time that passes feels like. Hey, one of them got a new job. <laughs> at least Toby looks like he's sad. I look at Anita. That was her brother. I forget that. She looks like she couldn't care less. And she, we're fine out much later just doesn't believe that her boyfriend Dino would have done such a thing she just doesn't believe her ex-boyfriend's story and so she goes off to work with Dino at an expensive car dealership in San Francisco and we have our hero trying to get the band back and trying to break into the De Leon even before the commentary I was thinking Blues Brothers as he had to go person to person and be like we're getting the band back together <laughs> I like road movies 
I'm not a car guy, but I like stories that unfold over highways and traveling spot to spot. That is a genre I've always enjoyed. With a ticking time clock on the wall, too. This is reminding me of Smokey and the Bandit, a more fun version of this movie where they have 48 hours to get to Texas, pick up some beer, and get back. I'm thinking Cannonball Run, where they have to go across the country, or the worst version of the Cannonball Run, Speed Zone. But all these movies where they have to go point to point. But riddle me this, Batman. We get Toby right out of prison. And immediately, he's calling up the British guy who bought the Mustang for $2.7 million, mm-hmm. saying, can I borrow it? Realistically, the guy says, what's in it for me? Well, I'm going to win, and you'll get all the cars. Total value, $4 million. Well, if you can buy a car for $2.7, million, $4 million probably isn't make or break time. And aren't you only gambling almost a 1 to 1.3 ratio there? You're risking a $3 million car. And in fact, you're going to lose a $3 million car in this effect on the hope of getting $4 million? Yeah, but haven't you ever known gamblers? At the end of the day, I've known a lot of people. It's not about what they're actually going to profit. It's just about the thrill of it. They just like to have stakes up there and uh, just put it on the line. And also, I do think you're misquoting the actual dollar value. I think they were saying $7 million worth of cars were in that final race. In the end, $0 of cars were in the final race. (laughs) Again, with the gambling mentality, I mean, if he had that money to buy the Mustang, it's not going to hurt him that bad to lose it either. I mean, I just feel like this is a guy that wants to see if he can trust this whiz kid who was going to be something and then turned out not to be something. It would help if he had been established as a character. What we have instead is his assistant. And I do like her. I do actually think that when Jessica rolls in here, she works as a romantic foil and as the voice of reason. She won me over when she's introduced as the ditzy blonde who's like, ooh, pretty car and treated that way. And then she says, can I see under the hood? And then names every piece that's under the hood and knows everything about cars i like that they subvert that expectation yeah she's both glammy and a gearhead that's you know i I haven't met anyone like that but i'm sure they exist and it's fun we have to have a moment where aaron paul doesn't want her around and having her win her place in this 48 hour car trip to california it gives us something to do it gives them a place to start and grow and change this is where the plan kicks into action because they're not quite sure where this race is and you have to be invited and it's rumored to be in California. Well, they're all the way in New York. They've got to get to California in 45 hours to get to this race and try to get an invite. Was the Mustang already in New York? <laughs> was it sitting there or did they fly it from London? I have no idea. Couldn't they have just flown the car to California and then taken a flight? <laughs> That's no fun, but of course. Look, you know, this movie is generic. I cannot say anything about this setup is great, but I think it all works. You know, I'm, I'm going with the movie. It's logic, sometimes spotty. There's a little bit of engine noise and backfire when we go through some of these motions. But honestly, I like the idea that it's the classic romantic comedy formula that goes all the way back to the 30s and it happened one night. Two people that don't really like each other get in a car, have to travel across the country, and when they get to where they're going, they're going to be in love and competing (laughs) in a big race. The director calls this the When Harry Met Sally moment. (laughs) And Stuart, I'm with you there, but I'm finding the tone a little off in that respect. I mean, we just witnessed the death of a friend and how much weight that carries. And then a few scenes later, 
we're supposed to believe there's only one cop between New York and Nebraska that would recognize these guys on the interstate. So it's like, I, I just don't know where the tone lands and how much actual stakes I'm supposed to be feeling throughout this. Like, what points do I let go? What points do I hold on to? I'm not able to grasp on to what it is exactly I'm supposed to grasp on to. Yeah, you know, I looked to double check and yes, this is a first time screenwriter and it feels that way. We have too many points on the road before we get here. We need to get into this about 15 minutes before we do. It's like 36 minutes into the film of a two hour and 10 minute film. It's too long. You didn't need to do all the things that they did. I would have almost preferred if we could have done this without the kid's death or I don't know where you would cut, but you would find a way to get us here faster and make it more about this because I do think the fun of this movie and where to honor the game is the idea that these people are just going to be on the run for much of the runtime. The way I would do it, the way I thought it was going to happen, you get Dino involved in that first race and you kill Pete in that first race. Yeah. When Pete survived the first race, I was like, holy shit, he lived. And then later he asks for a key. I'm like, oh, there's the death knell. I mean, Again, I saw the buzzards, but you could combine those two races into one and then get this thing moving. Yeah, and maybe they were already working with somebody else on rebuilding that Mustang, and you didn't have to have Dino be the one to bring that in. But as far as this cross-country trip goes, they try so hard to give each of the crew their moment. And the only one that I have really any attention to whatsoever is when Finn has an office job, and he's going to leave in the most Balls out way ever. Literally. <laughs> so confusing. For the first few moments of the scene, I thought we were looking at Dino. And I'm like, why is Dino working in an office? Why is he taking off his clothes? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is Finn. Okay, this makes more sense. Yeah, again, this is a fantasy. I mean, it one-ups another Tom Cruise movie, Jerry Maguire. If you're going to quit, quit big time. Go all out, you know, really. Yeah, he does this so that there'll be no way that he'll ever, they'll never take him back if this should not work out. He's forced himself into this box where he has to go riding off with his friends. And the idea is they need him to fix this Mustang. A little do they know he won't be able to fix the Mustang for the final <laughs> race, but they don't actually end up needing him. I think all that he ever is good for is he refuels the car without them having the nuisance of his stopping at a gas station. Yeah, they have 47 hours to get from New York to California. It's a 43-hour drive at the speed limit. <laughs> so I think they could pull over for gas. In fact, later they do pull over for gas. <laughs> yeah, that was confusing. <laughs> But one thing they also need is the police, because the De Leon, you don't just show up at the De Leon. It's an invite only from the monarch. And why does he need to egg on a cop and get all the police chasing him? Is to get monarch's attention so that monarch can Bluetooth him the special invite. I feel like Benny needs his own movie because as this is unfolding, I'm like, wait, that wasn't his Cessna? Every time he's breaking into some flying contraption, he has to steal a news crew chopper. And thus, because it's equipped with cameras, he can tape this and it creates such a sensation on the air that, of course, how can Monarch ignore it? It's kind of a clever idea, but God, that's a lot of work. Later, he's going to be an Apache medical army helicopter. I think he actually is in the army. That's how he got 
got it. He was just off the flight plan. But he mm. is, maybe he has the rank where he could just show up at any given news station and be like, I'm Army, I need your chopper. <laughs> yeah, it would have been more fun to have these guys if we knew who these guys were and each stop was like the Blues Brothers of getting the band back together. There are better ways of doing it. It has been done better, but because these guys are kind of generic, these scenes are a little generic. Hey, I don't know who the band of the Blues Brothers is either. I mean, I know they have to get the guy at the fried chicken place, but I couldn't tell you his name. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you're right. To that point, we don't need to know great detail about these characters, just as long as we make their reunion fun. This Rami Malik one is the only one that's any fun at all. I enjoy Benny in the air. He's kind of like a better version of Waze, basically, you know? And this is where I'm talking about the tone being inconsistent, because I understand why he draws attention to himself in Detroit to get on the radar of Monarch and be able to get an invite to that race. Dang, they're in Detroit. They still got most of that drive to do. Like, maybe that scene should have been closer, like, somewhere in Utah. <laughs> where I can't understand is how he's going to be the most wanted guy in a very distinguishable car and drive across America on the interstates without getting pulled over once. Again, one of my favorite guilty pleasures, the Warriors. It's all about how do we get home. If it were more of that, if there were more people that are like, ooh, there's a bounty that's put out. We, Dino puts it out there. If you can stop this guy from making it to the De Leon, I'll reward you. Well, that could have been a lot of fun to watch different people set up speed traps and do what they have. Instead, we have one state trooper that just gets lucky at a gas station, and then some guys in Arizona. But yeah, there could have been a lot more stops along the way. And here's another scene that totally could have been cut. Julia running through a gas station from a cop going upstairs. I think she went upstairs so that Toby could get away. But no, she's going to be afraid of heights. That's all we're going to have about her characters. I know cars and I'm so afraid of heights that a 10 foot drop is going to petrify me. She sells it because I like the actress. But yeah, gas stations don't have upstairs. That doesn't even happen. <laughs> Well, in Nebraska, we do, and that's where they were. They were at a truck stop where you have rent the shower by the minute type of thing for truck drivers. Okay. But yeah, I'm not quite sure why they have access to upstairs. I don't know why you put the showers on the second floor. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd want the plumbing to go down. Anyway, again, not looking for great depth of realism, but I am looking for more fun moments here. I like the principles enough. I think they've got a good vibe going, but they could exploit these elements a whole lot more. If we had gotten here, if there was more time to focus on this stuff, it would be a better movie overall. I think if they skipped the cop thing, but I understand why they had to do it in Detroit. Again, now you're less than two days to the race and you don't know what Monarch is looking at when. You need to piss off a lot of state cops to be sure you get on his radar in two days. Somehow they end up, to me it looked like they were in Arizona somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Red Rocks area. Sure. Driving up cliffs and being chased by some hillbillies and trying to collect that bounty. Well, maybe not hillbillies. They just had off-road vehicles and stuff. But there was a pretty impressive crash there, too. Julia's driving at this point when this happens. So it adds a little bit more flavor to the other chase scenes we've seen. She's a little bit scared and they're driving up these sheer cliffs and cars coming directly at them. I'm kind of into this. I'm like, all right, I'm not quite sure where this works on the map. Like how they got from Detroit to maybe Arizona, but whatever. I'm into it. You know, these guys are shooting shotguns, firing pistols at them. They've really raised the stakes at this point. Yeah, and they're driving at high rates of speed. 
and there's no guardrail. I've driven on some of these roads in the West where you're up in a mountain or a mesa and there's no guardrail, or at least for part of it, there's no guardrail. And you're taking a turn and you overshoot that turn. You're dead. You are as dead as can possibly fucking be. And so I am tense when I'm seeing her drive there. I'm feeling it in my gut. I wish it had a better resolution, though. I just don't like that Maverick saves them by bringing in the chopper. They chain it to the car. I've Googled and Googled. I cannot figure out. Can you really lift a car by its top? I think because they did it that you can. I mean, but it could be just a body with no engine in it or something. But yeah, not recommended. Uh, kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> I think should it actually is said at the end credits. They make a big deal about like this were controlled environments and we don't want an influence. Yeah, we know. I'm not going to drive off the Mesa and have my friend flying the helicopter to see if I'm going to hang tight. It's another way of exploiting her fear of heights. If she was afraid of jumping out of the gas station, she's certainly afraid as they're dragging her along the Grand Canyon and kind of area and it, it also serves to show that benny is now going to be in trouble he gets put in the clinker because of this act i think he's in a military jail if i'm not mistaken they do drive all the way out there though and then the car gets totaled it's certainly ironic i didn't see it coming <laughs> And when the truck hits them, that was a jarring moment for me. It's really shocking. There have been like only two or three times in movie history where a car accident out of the blue shocks the hell out of me. And this was one of them. Yeah, it really did the job. You know, I wasn't expecting it. I forgot about the douchebag that Dino had hired earlier in the movie. In that accident, she got hurt. So they're not going to be there for him at the race they're going to be streaming it live uh, they know the uh, url and in her hospital room we'll be able to cut to reaction shot the only time that i find benny funny is when he's trying to sweet talk the female mp and finally it's just like you got an ipad i can borrow <laughs> that was legit funny <laughs> Yeah, because earlier, once again, I'm going to go to the tone. These guys are being shot at and not just at their tires. Like they've shot out the back window and he won't lift them up. He's being jokey. He's like, call me Maverick. Tell me I can fly a, a helicopter. It's like, okay, this is not time to be funny. This is pick them up and let's get out of this situation. But I don't know. I've known some extreme sports guys in college and things and just some of those people they will choose that moment to be a dick. They will know exactly how far it can really be pushed. And whereas you and I may be a little bit cautious and like another time, can we please get out of this situation? They will push it to the last second and know what they're doing because they're good at it. Yeah, and doesn't Tom Cruise like fly upside down by the Russians and take a Polaroid? I mean, it's just kind of what we expect in a Hollywood movie. You're right. And I think at this point, it's on me more than the movie. I'm misreading the fun that it's trying to project. Maybe it's I'm just a little too old to see the fun in this. I think that maybe, and you haven't had to watch as many Fast and Furious as I have, so there are more extreme versions of this scene, let me tell you. I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've experienced many of them. <laughs> Admittedly, I would never ask in a Fast and Furious film, at least not too seriously, if you could lift a car by its hood, because I just write that off as a fantasy land where physics don't work, whereas here, they have relied so much on reality and physics that I'm a bit more discerning. Yeah, it's not realistic, but it's more grounded, which, again, I'm always appreciative 
appreciative of that. It's just nice to have variance. That's all I'm saying is after so much extremism in Fast and Furious, I can go with it. But again, I think you're right. The tone, it's hard to settle into a fun pace because sometimes it's a serious revenge film. Sometimes it's a lark and a Smokey and the Bandit. And it's kind of an inexperienced director. Maybe he didn't have great control over all of this. I like the romantic chemistry, but I would have cut down some of these lovey-dovey scenes, particularly here at the end of the hospital. I'm, I'm like, just say that for the final shot. We don't need to oversell the romance. We're here for the speed. We're here for the race. And I'm feeling this movie's length at this point. Yeah, this movie has a desperate need for speed. (laughs) It needs to be about a half an hour shorter. (laughs) Yeah, they reach the San Francisco. There's nothing to do but race, but it's kind of nice. And quickly it gets resolved, maybe too quickly. But because Anita has become a little bit suspicious of Dino, and because Dino has not been bright enough to... I guess the car was just too expensive. Even though it still got the paint on it, he never... He just hid it in a storage unit somewhere in San Francisco. She's got the key and she's going to give it to her ex-boyfriend. And there actually is paint on the bumper showing that he was the one who caused the wreck. And you immediately take it to the cops, right? Because if you drive it in a high-speed race where you're flipping and all of that, like now you can't prove where the paint came from, right? There probably won't even be any paint. It'll all be stripped by the end of this daily off. I guess that's one thing that I was willing to go with because they did make such a big deal how these are like three of the only types of these cars in the world that don't even really actually exist here in America. They're that illegal, so... Mm-hmm. Plus, it's just a badass move to show up in a murder weapon, right? (laughs) Like, I'm going to just pull up next to Dino and say, hey, remember this car? It works, I guess, as being the dagger in the back of his nemesis. But this final race, I'll give it to him. They get me. Admittedly, I am thinking that, yes, every single car is crashed. I don't know exactly what they're winning, but bragging rights. And yes, I know for a fact that it's going to be down to Dino... (laughs) And Toby at the very end. But it's an exciting race with some great crashes and some really fun stunts. And yeah, the police are there trying to get involved. You got to dodge cop cars while stay ahead. Yeah, that added something to it. I mean, I think I would be bored as I usually am with like watching cars race on a track or something like that. You want to add the extra element of are they going to get busted and they're pulling out the spikes and avoiding the cops is is a part of it, really. They're a part of the obstacle course. My favorite part is the cop who's going to do a pit maneuver, but he's not going to get in the car himself. He's going to he's going to jam his billy stick into the gas and (laughs) just try to take out a guy with a ghost ride. I got a little bit worried when the police are like, use of lethal force authorized. I'm like, wait, what? You're going to kill people for speeding? And does the helicopter pilot get to make that call? Like, isn't there a sergeant or somebody that makes that call? And there are laws regarding whether or not police engage in high-speed chases. The police are not allowed to engage in a high-speed chase that might endanger civilians. The truth of it is, despite what you see in movies, if you're in a town where a helicopter could not be immediately deployed, if you are ballsy enough to drive in high-populated areas, police will let you go. And here in this movie, the police are chasing these cars and doing so many dangerous things. Each and every one of these cops should be on YouTube and then written up. Yeah, I mean, it's a form of entertainment in California. There's so many high-speed chases. They get televised. They do. They just let them go, and you watch how far the guy's going to get. They never make it. You know, like, there's no winning the De Leon. Even here, I guess, you know, you make it to the lighthouse, and you're going to get arrested. But, yeah, certainly... 
that is the wise thing to do here. In California, you have helicopters where they can follow where the car is going. And once a helicopter's on you, you are never getting away. Yeah. But in Illinois, we don't have that many police helicopters. And every so often, I'll see on the news, police are on a lookout for this vehicle that escaped in a high-speed chase yesterday. Police did not engage for fear of putting pedestrians in danger. The suspects are at large. And so here, these police want to use lethal force, whereas my police are like, yeah, no, let's just let them get away. And how is Monarch keeping tabs on all at all? It's like <laughs> there's like chips in the car or like it's turned into a video game on his monitor. I don't know how he would have eyes in the sky. That's the thing that this movie asks you not to ask. Okay. All right. Then I won't ask. But I will ask, do we like Michael Keaton? Now that you've said it, I can't not see the fact that he could have been completely added <laughs> in the last like week before the movie opened because he has so little connection. I mean, yes, he's the guy that engineers this race. He never comes out of seclusion. He never goes and meets Toby. And I thought we would get that scene at the lighthouse. I thought he would be standing there. I thought we would see him broadcasting from the finish line. I think he's in the lighthouse. Now, the director said this was his Pulp Fiction mystery. Like, what's in the briefcase? Where is Monarch? Is Monarch in the lighthouse? Is Monarch in Russia? Where is Monarch? <laughs> That's not the same thing as Pulp Fiction. No, it's not. But I wanted to just give you his analogy. <laughs> okay. Way to cover there. The room he's in does look like it could be in a lighthouse, but does that mean he's been living in that lighthouse for the last month or however long this... More than that, like two years plus. The reason I think it's in the lighthouse is at the end of the race, he looks out a window and talks about what Toby's doing. Mm. And let's not forget... Dead Pete, the moment I knew he was dead, I have a vision yes. of you <laughs> and a car beating Dino and a lighthouse. Yeah, and I noticed that he didn't put himself in that vision. But again, it is a hoary cliche, but I give the movie that. that yes, Dead Pete had to die so that we could get to this semi-happy ending. I mean, it's he got justice for Dead Pete, and he ended up being better than Dino because he did go back. The thing almost worse than the fact that Pete died was the fact that Dino did not go back and at least acknowledge that. Far from it. You know, distance himself through lies and alibis. Well, here, Toby's not going to do the same thing, even though he could just speed on to the finish line and who knows, maybe even get away from the cops. I don't know. He goes back and that's why he's going to get caught. And he saves Dino before his car explodes. Well, the finish line is a cul-de-sac or a dead end. The lighthouse, there's no driving past a lighthouse. And so either way, he's got to end up in a box to win the race. But he does say at the beginning, I'm not going to come back for you. But he's too good a guy. He's going to come back for him anyway. And then the car flips. It's on fire. Dino would have died. But he pulls Dino from the fire. Dino probably has a concussion. May have fractured spine. Are you okay? Yes. All right. He says he's okay. So you're going to sock him? Well, you could paralyze him for life. That's okay, Arnie. I mean, honestly, the guy deserves it. I know I shouldn't be thinking about this, but this movie's a half an hour too long, and so my mind wandered. So, yes, he wins the race, and what? All these wrecked cars? Are all those cars going to be taken into evidence for destroying property and destroying cop property? Does he owe the British guy $2.7 million for the Mustang? <laughs> yeah, I was definitely thinking about Imogene Poots being out of a job. <laughs> if nothing else, her job was to make sure nothing happened to the Mustang. And boy, yeah, she just ought to stay in the hospital. Never get out. 
just a little quick accounting. They haven't done anything to address the fact that his dad's shop has been in foreclosure since he's been in jail. I'm assuming it's closed. I assumed it closed when he went to jail. Yeah, they, he went back and cut open a lock, so it got repossessed. Yep, he has, I mean, what, any prospects now after getting out of jail that he's just a badass street racer? Like, I just, I don't know what he actually won here other than avenging Pete's death and clearing his own name. And then you got it in full. That's exactly <laughs> what he won. That's it. Done. And one of the better Linkin Park songs. I mean, at least he's not rapping over speed metal. <laughs> Leave that to Kid Cootie, who's, yes, twerking in jail, as you've already pointed out. Yeah, not funny. Uh, they know the kind of ending they want to leave us with, but they didn't exactly deliver it. I would have been fine with the ending at the lighthouse. Yeah, but let's end seeing if there's a lighthouse at the end of our own tunnel. Justin Stewart, do you have the need, the need for speed? Justin. Getting my notes ready for how I felt about this movie, I end up writing about half a page about how irresponsible this movie is and how crazy of a message it's sending young kids today about being able to street race and not really have to face any consequences. And then I kind of caught myself. I think <laughs> that was the dad in me talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, you got wee ones that are about to dry, right? <laughs> right. I've got a 13-year-old who, um, you know, I'm sure with the next couple of years, I'm going to have to be checking out whoever she's getting in the car with. Anyway, I put the brakes on that and I had to start thinking. It's like, you know what? I grew up enjoying stupid car wrecks and chases on the Dukes of Hazard. I already mentioned Smokey and the Bandit. This is just dumb racing adrenalized fun and at that level i think this movie succeeds it's good looking we talked about the sound design all of that's there my biggest problem and i've said it throughout this review is the tone i'm just not sure what they're trying to make me feel or if i'm feeling things that i'm reading into so at the end of the day it's fine it's not a great movie. I'm not going to hope it turns into a franchise. I'm not waiting to see more from any of these characters. It was fine. So for me, it's going to be a mild, okay, it's a mild recommend. Just because it wasn't a complete car wreck. <laughs> Pun intended? <laughs> Pun intended. Stuart. Agreed. A very pleasant surprise. I was presented with something that I thought for sure I would hate. A virtually starless bomb adaptation of a racing game I never played that wants to be a Fast and Furious film. That is total failure. I thought it was going to be a real chore. And despite its excessive length, I did find Need for Speed breezy and fun. I mean, it's very simple and you'll either ride with it or you want but I appreciated that it felt like a movie they could have made in the 80s or the 70s. It's more Karate Kid than today's CGI action movies. And no tank, no skydiving, no spy plots. They're just going for something that I think is more simple. And by doing so, they achieve it. I like the cast. Stock roles, though they may be. Predictable outcomes, though it may be. It's a formula movie. I don't want to oversell this. But if you need to see the best video game movie ever made, I think this is my vote. Honestly, on the very low bar of this series, which is basically Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider and the first Resident Evil, this one wins. Wow. Oh, that's big. I'd even say I'd like it better than half the Fast and Furious movies. Well, that's not hard to say. <laughs> All right. For me, I really loved every time the cars were racing against other cars. I didn't like the cross-country stuff as much. But when the cars were racing, all of the races, I was really into this movie. The camera work, the technical proficiency of this film is astounding. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought that coming in with Scott Waugh. He had one movie before 
one movie after, not a prolific guy, but it's well shot, it's well made, everything is really well done from a technical standpoint. The problem is, it's just so poorly written. I mean, I knew how this movie was going to end before the credits. There were no opening credits, but if there had been, I would have known how the movie was going to end before it began. Pete just looked like death. The characters do not enthrall me, and the movie's 30 minutes too long. I've said that a couple times. This movie has a desperate need for speed. The editor should have really hit the gas and cut even deeper than they did. But I know Wah had some highfalutin ideas about sequels and things for this, and I think that's why the crew was there. He wanted his own Fast and Furious franchise with the need for speed. I know Electronic Arts wanted it. Mm. They were the driving force behind the movie. Right. They were going to people saying, will you make a need for speed movie? (laughs) Yeah, if you were going to be a real 80s movie, you'd just focus on the guy and the girl and you cut just about everyone else out. But I'm right there on the fence with this. You know, it's like, mm, it's a photo finish on if this is going to get a recommend or not. In the end, I'm going to just eek on the side of recommend. It's good enough, but at times I felt it was idling a little too heavy. Yeah, remember where you are, Arnie. The video game arcade (laughs) franchise. That is a miraculous achievement that it is not a red arrow. I'd say it's better than a third of the Fast and Furious films, but not half of them. I'd rather be watching a lot of Fast and Furious. I don't want sequels. Yeah, no. I think Stuart nailed it in setting the expectations right. Like, going into this movie, I had no expectations other than I thought I was probably going to hate it. And since it came in well under that bar, I'm happy to land on the the mild recommend side. Agreed. And it makes me encouraged to think that there could be more good movies, more passable, mediocre, good enough films in our future. But if you have a need for the real Maverick, that's what we're going to go to next week. Mission Impossible, part six. Fallout. Definitely will have more practical stunts. That's the thing I love about the Mission Impossible franchise is it's real. Tom Cruise is really going to hang outside of a plane or do whatever. I asked after part five, I actually tweeted to Christopher McQuarrie. I'm like, after part five, how are you going to up it? Are you going to strap Tom Cruise to the outside of the space shuttle (laughs) and just launch him into space with no air? How do you outdo it? But... It's looking tight from those trailers. I gotta say, it is the most impressive summer movie trailer that I've seen. I'm not saying I want to see this movie the most, but of all the ways that they presented the summer movies this season, I think this one had the trailer that just, it reminded me that I liked this series. Sometimes you can forget Tom Cruise irritant. You're like, eh, maybe I don't want another one. I want this one. I want to see how it goes. But we'll be back to video games in three weeks. Dominic Cooper's back in Warcraft. (laughs) We're just doing a Dominic Cooper series. Hey, why not? And we are doing an Al Pacino series. Just to remind folks, we're up to Sea of Love. So if you're a platinum level donor or you want to be, join us for that sex thriller this Friday. That's this Friday. And if you want tricked out cards and some car chases with cops, next Friday, Dick Tracy. What'd you call me? (laughs) Tracy. (laughs) So the closest thing we have for a tie-in for Need for Speed at the moment. (laughs) So Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next week, game over.
Congratulations, you have won the race. You've got a top 10 time for this track. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I love it. <laughs> Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. The hits just keep on coming with you, huh? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Tomb Raider, Rampage, and more. Could be a game changer for you. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. I have no idea where this is going. I just know I like it. I like it a lot. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. I'm behind on the loan. That guy's from the bank. And uh, he's just gonna keep coming back. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. It's gotta be enough to make the payment. What about next month? can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You need to see what I'm looking at. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Handing out dreams now, Dino? If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. It's rarefied air, kids. It's beautiful. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Just follow me, dude. I'll be driving like a bat out of hell. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You gotta have balls of titanium alloy to do what I do. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. I feel like you're dying inside. Now, 
now playing credits read by Brock. That's what I thought. Keep talking that shit. The opinions expressed on now playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. When you're hanging upside down tomorrow, I'm not coming back for you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Racers should race, cops should eat donuts. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Good night, lads. Bye. Dominic Cooper, Imogen Poots. <laughs> Imogen Poots. <laughs> Still my favorite name in show business. The best and the worst all in once. It's no Zazzy Beats. <laughs> Directed by Scott Wah. That's the actually spelled the exact same way as how Howard the Duck curses in the comic book. It's Wah. <laughs> <laughs> what an interesting factoid. Because <laughs> had we... Say, if we had Tom Holland in the lead here or something, an actor I like, I'd have looked at this. I mean, Aaron Paul's older even. I mean, you could get... Chris Evans? No. I'm trying to not do two Marvel people. Who's somebody else? I Who like? isn't a Marvel person at this point? <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal? He's going to be a Marvel person. He's the bad guy against Tom Holland. <laughs> and they looked like police helicopters or Tyrese's helicopters. Not Tyrese. <laughs> <laughs> Benny. <laughs> they looked like police helicopters or Benny's helicopters. Was the Mustang already in New York? Was it sitting there or did they fly it from London? Cuz they could have flown it to cuz they could have flown it to Cal cuz they could have flown it to California cuz they could have flown it Marjorie's home. <laughs> yeah, they're just taking that shit. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Hey. All right. At least it's not a bandwidth problem. Okay. No. I could hear all the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Go to mama. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the Wraith or something, you oh. know. Where... Stop with the Wraith. <laughs> it's in the book. Yes, it is. <laughs> As is my very negative opinion of it. Oh, yeah.